Nation hanging out with you guys from the East Valley Institute of Technology, one of the premier high schools uh, nationally ranked. Skills USA just about every year. And it is an honor to hang with you mechanical maniacs every week right here, Ranch Nation. And what a lovely day. Many of you have broken umbrellas. You thought that umbrella was working. You, you went into the closet and you thought the windshield wipers were working and you went to use it. That's what us Phoenicians do, Susie Sockets. That's Welcome right. to the show. <laughs> I mean, we get into a situation where, well, we don't have, we're not rainproof. <laughs> we're not rainproof. No, we're not. And I thought to myself, man, on the way to work, does Frank's garage have enough wipers for his people? <laughs> <laughs> we had three cars come in today for windshield wipers. Yeah. And, and you know the thing about windshield wipers, they, they, got, ex- kind of, they got kind of expensive. Yeah. We would do wiper, like we give them away like candy. Yeah, they did. Yeah. No charge. We yep. were heroes. But now you've got the contour blades, and the contour blades last longer, maybe, in our heat. I don't know. Maybe. And they sweep the windshield a lot better. That is a true story, Frank. It's like a shoelace and a sneaker. <laughs> One big happy family. So if you need wiper blades, go see your neighborhood Rockstar Automotive uh, garage or dealership and get your wiper blade on. And I did. I, I went to my closet this morning. I looked at my wife. She looked at me like I was retarded. She what do you mean when you umbrellas? You just walk out to the car and walk out. <laughs> you ever get that way? Oh, of course. But we don't want to mess our hair up. Not my hair. I'm stuck in the 80s. <laughs> you and I both. How was your week, girl? It was amazing. What about yours? It was wonderful. Yeah? I was You were out of town. I was at Pomona. I had the need for speed. I was shaking. My knees were shaking. (laughs) I watched it on TV, so I was there with you. It was great. We had uh, Pronto Family uh, Auto Parts out there, Parts Authority, and, of course, Blake Alexander made it to the semifinals. It reminded me of our gal uh, who came on uh, from Randy Meyer, Megan Meyer. Megan Meyer. Last week. She was a rock star. You guys get on to WrenchNation.TV. Catch that show. Because a lot of you youngsters out there, I know it. I know you're interested. You're interested in going fast. You can't do that on our streets, people. You got to slow down. But if you do have a passion and an interest, check out Show 179. We had a wonderful interview with Miss Meyer, Top Alcohol 2019 champ. Yes. And uh, she was inspirational. And I think there's a huge movement right now. Really, really cool to see. Uh, sort of passing the torch, if you will. Some were nervous. What's going to happen to motorsports? Mm-hmm. Maybe kids. My kid, you know, my daughter went out to NHRA. How many of you listening right now took your kids for the first time to a motorsports event, in this case, NHRA? Frank's raising his hand right now. Because you did, right? Yeah. Yeah, my, first time. Natalie was out there. I was a little, I had to call my wife. Do we have insurance, medical? I don't know if she's going to pass out. <laughs> But in all reality, she was just thrilled and enthralled, man. So she, she's hooked, and she's now my little my little NHRA buddy. That's a great experience for and a I child. And I think you listening now, get those kids out of those phones. Take them to a motorsports event. That's what it's about. Take That's them right. to a motorsports event. It's all good. Susie, what's shaking in the world of automotive news before we get to the guest topic? Well, you want to do shout-outs or you want to do automotive news? Uh, what do you do, want to do? No, let's do the topic because, I, you know, the people always tell me, Frank, you take too long. Okay, well, then. Well, we're excited. All uh, right. And honored, privileged. Now, listen, I don't know when's the last time you've been to the Phoenix Art Museum, but if you haven't been in a while, you need to get on over there, especially now. As it relates to car talk, legends of speed that is a phenomenal exhibit of 22 of some of the most legendary race cars going back in time Susie wow and we are going to dive into the Phoenix Art Museum's collection where did it come from what are the unique stories and we are honored and privileged to have Carter Emerson on board from Phoenix Art Museum. And I figured, you know what, we can't do a show on motorsports without having a motorsports legend in studio. Drum roll, are you ready? <laughs> Rookie of the year, Miss Lynn St. 
James. Now I'm going to give you an opportunity. Google our guests. Don't be driving. And check them out. They're going to join us, and we are going to have a wonderful journey into time, race car legendary time, uh, highlighting uh, the legends of speed over at the wonderful Phoenix uh, Museum of Art. Wonderful place. And Susie, tie us in. Tell me you got some wonderful news. So you am I prepared for this? Uh, yeah, I think you will be. Um, so the Ford Mustang Mach E oh, uh, yeah, is no. coming up with a futuristic capability. I don't know about I've heard about it. Go ahead. Please. Have you heard about it? Because you won't find the same electronic pop-up handles that sit flush with the body. It's it's really cool. Yeah. This is actually literally no door handles. That's fashionable. That's the future. Is that crazy? So it's crazy. So they're taking a different approach. So what they're doing is there's a vehicle, there's a cabin. To get in the cabin, there's a v, uh, electronic button located on the pillar. And all you do is you push it, and it pops the door just about an inch. And then the front two doors have a sleek piano black um, pool handle that the driver and front passenger have to use to get the door open. I don't know about that. I, I think no matter how, how far we go technology, I mean, the F-150's got 100 million lines of code. There's certain things that we need, and that's a handle. Look at your home and that door. Now, I know there's some electronic doors, but most of us want to grab a handle. We do, and <laughs> we do. We want to grab the handle, jiggle the handle. We want to do something like that, right? But Ford says it emphasizes efficiency. So tacking an oversized door handle onto the svelte design reduces the coefficient of drag. Wait a minute. Stop right limits there. the Wait. overall driving range. You said, was that Danish svelte? Svelte. What does this mean? Svelte. Now, Lynn St. James will understand this. She wants to go fast, right? Oh, yeah. Will she's... door handles, Lynn, take that? Uh, well, we're we going to find out. We we're going to find out from Melissa. Miss Lynn St. James about the whole Race speed situation. Race don't have door handles. Yay! Uh, Thank you, Lynn. Thank you, Lynn. That was like, Hercules, Hercules. Uh, that was Miss Lynn St. James. In fact, Lynn, come on in. I welcome, uh, we're so honored to have you in studio, uh, Indy 500 Queen. I can call you Queen. You can call me whatever you want to call me. <laughs> <laughs> <It's your show. laughs> and before we cut to the break, uh, of course, uh, Carter... Emerson of the Phoenix Art Museum. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Frank. And we're going to bring you on here in a little bit. Uh, I say we go to break, so we have a nice chunk of second segment. Uh, I do remind you guys to come back with us. Uh, and in the meantime, get on to RanchNation.tv. Remember the email. And then one more thing we can't forget. We have some shout-outs. You know, if you visit us, and we actually had a special one today. We did. Well, actually, I'm going to say a shout-out to Smoke and Sunny barbecue oh okay wow. he's listening to the show but we have a we have another special one al chacon frank you have a story about that don't you oh my goodness you know when i think of chacon i think of Edie chacon and al chacon <laughs> yeah, but this is al chacon all right well i gotta tell you the story guys uh back in the mid 90s i opened my first garage <laughs> a lot of pain <laughs> al chacon is one of the handful of one of my first customers and he came by. He saw an ABC 15 segment. He's like, I got to hunt that guy down. <laughs> he came by the garage. And Susie said, hey, there's a guy by the name of Al Chacon to see you. I'm like, ooh, I know this name. It's weird how the mind works. So I went up front. And here it is. We're talking 15 years ago. I haven't seen this guy. Yep, big handshake and a hug to you guys. Yeah, so he's going to actually schedule. So that's our, little, that's our little story. We always love sharing that with you guys because you guys can relate. Um, that's the way life goes, man, and you got to keep that going. So I uh, want you guys to stay tuned. We are talking about the Phoenix Art Museum, that wonderful Legends of Speed. We have two special guests, uh, Indy 500's Lynn St. James and, of course, uh, Carter Emerson of the Phoenix Art Museum. How did these vehicles get there? Why is the Phoenix Art Museum highlighting these vehicles? Stay tuned. Wrench Nation, next. Bolt-On Technologies, automotive software solutions. Auto repair shops that have Bolt-On Technologies software provide customer vehicle condition reports, including photos and text, real-time digital reports, multi-point inspections, estimates, and repair information at your fingertips. Info at boltontechnology.com. Welcome back, Ranch Nation, right here at East Valley Institute of Technology. Always grateful to hang out with you guys. 
uh, get on ranchnation.tv. And if you dip in and out of the show, especially our weekend listeners, uh, get on our podcast. You can listen to that uh, on any of the podcast players. Now, race cars from Maserati, Susie, Ferrari, Bugatti, Alfa Romeo, driven by some of the greatest drivers in racing history, are among the 22 vehicles on display at the Phoenix Art Museum's exclusive Legends of Speed exhibition. These vehicles spanning about six decades, uh, gosh, they were loaned by individual car collectors and museums from across the country. Uh, and two local collectors also loaned some of these cars, uh, Wal- Rob Walton, former chairman of Walmart, and, uh, well, one of the richest men in the world and developer, investor, Bill Pope. So you have a lot of collaboration uh, going on and to help us uh, sort out the whys to that at Phoenix Art Museum, we have Mr. Carter Emerson. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Frank. Uh, wonderful exhibit. You, it, you're not new to car exhibits. I mean, not you had all, one 10 years one ago. 11 years ago, 12 years ago, Curves of Steel, which was super successful. In just two and a half months, we had almost 70,000 people in the door. And the neat thing about car shows at art museums is it brings in a very diverse audience, brings in a lot more guys than you might ordinarily have who you want to convert into members. No doubt. I mean, do you think the rest of the country looks at Phoenix as a non-kind of car enthusiast place, or is it the other way around? Well, I, you know, I think Lynn can address that as well. I, I think because people know about Barrett-Jackson, because they know about some of the racing here, they're getting to know more about it as a car destination than they might have had uh, in the past. Well, I'm going to set up Miss Lynn St. James, uh, 1992 Indianapolis 500 Rookie of the Year, first woman to win. She's had seven Indianapolis 500 starts in nine years, uh, a legend on the track, and a really humble, awesome spirit. Welcome to the show, Lynn St. James. You, Frank. Thank you. Yeah, I think the Valley is really automotive um, strong. I mean, you've got collectors, you've got, um, you know, so many new things happening. I mean, let's face it, the weather's perfect. So whether you're a full-time resident or a part-time resident, you have a lot of car collectors, a lot of shops and garages that are taking care of those cars. I mean, RPM Foundation, which you're aware of, you know, we consider the, the Valley um, a hotspot because there are jobs there are uh, collectors and vehicles, and you know what? There's EVIT and other schools that actually provide automotive education uh, to be able to learn the skills and the trades that it takes to work on these vehicles. So it's a hot spot. It's growing. It's very automotive-centric, not just during auction week in January, but really all the time. But I think having something at the Phoenix Art Museum really broadens the message for everybody, for the car folks. I mean, I saw so many racers. I mean, I've been there a number of times and I saw some drag racers or people with IMSA t-shirts on and they say, hey, you know, they don't really know about this car or that car, but the fact that they're even there and they care and they're wowing and they're just blowing their minds. So it's it's a real cross-section and, and women are loving it. Kids are loving it. How many kids and families um, are coming out? So it's a real broad broad scope, um, even though for us racers, it's actually really cool. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, our goal is to convert you yeah. uh, so, listening. And, and let me ask you, uh, so this is a pretty big deal. And I know, and correct me if I'm wrong, it took about two weeks to set this all up. Right. But give us some back history. What's it take to put 22 of, of, of such a racing well, collection together? It, it's really interesting. So you've got the chief curator, Gilbert Vicario, who you've met from the museum. And he and his staff, you know, they handle all sorts of shows. We had Teotihuacan, the you know, Mexican artifacts and so forth, all sorts of things. And about 18 months ago, um, I said to Gilbert, you know, I'm a lifelong racing fan, and said, I've got an idea. I know we had Curves of Steel, but as far as I know, no one has ever put on in an art museum a show of significant race cars. And he said, go for it, which Whoa. was which was terrific. That's cool. And then you go, oh, I can do that. How are you going to do that? <laughs> and so how did you figure out how to do these 22 cars? I'll throw it back to you, but I can tell you how we did that. That is awesome. I, I like the idea that you have that free reign. Yeah. At the art museum. And, and you have yep. uh, incredible showcase. I want to, I want to kind of go over back to Lynn. Lynn, you, you've been on the track. You've been around motorsports for, for all of your life. And I really want to take folks back to a sense of time. I think it's important to get in the mind of 
a race vehicle and behind the wheel, as we will talk about these vehicles uh, that are on display. Lynn, you, you started your career. Was uh, there a motivational factor? Was there somebody that really pushed you to succeed where you felt, I don't know if I can do this? <laughs> Who were your mentors? Well, um, nobody pushed me, I can tell you that. Um, I mean, I like to drive fast. And, and from a teenager, when I got my driver's license, and so my mom taught me how to drive and taught me that a, the uh, gas will get you out of more trouble than the brake. And, of course, I reminded her of that <laughs> that's, often that's um, true. when I went through my, you know, later in life, because she said, that's not what I meant. That's not what I meant. <laughs> but, um, but I just, I went to the races. I was a fan and spectator first, and then I found out that you could become a member of a club and that real people drove race cars, and that you had to go to driver school to get your competition license. So, I mean, I just started paying attention and learning what I needed to learn and became a member of SCCA, and I enrolled in driver school. And so, um, but fortunately, I did have a, a husband at the time who, you know, was also wanting to race, and so we kind of did it together. And that's, I think, one of the hardest things for anybody to get started is that you can't do this by yourself. You can't do it alone. I mean, you can go play tennis. You can go play golf. You can almost pick up any sport soccer and eventually you will find other people you know that you want to go play with but racing you really have to kind of figure it out you got to get the car you know you got to get the roll bay you know the roll bar and all the safety equipment you got to get the gear and then you got to get to the racetrack and you got to figure out how to get the car to the racetrack and then what happens if the car breaks and you have to prepare the car and it's really hard for women particularly because it's hard to do by yourself again and so you're either got to have a bunch of gals that are willing to do it with you, which is really hard to do, or you've got to have a bunch of guys who are willing to do it with you, and they're going to not necessarily want a gal to do it. So I had a husband who needed me to take, you know, the timing and scoring and work with him and help him, and then he was there to help me. And then some of the guys that were helping him finally said, okay, we'll help you too. And, you know, so I got that help and I got that ability, and um, and I've never looked back. I mean, it is the thing that – I truly meant I was destined to do in this world and I'm still racing and I love it. And um, I'm just delighted that I had the opportunity to find my passion. We have that team set. We have our, our pit crew, our family, our supporters, our fan base. But when you're behind that wheel, do you feel a sense of solo? Do you go into that solo mode? That's so cool because I call it a hybrid. It's really an individual sport because you're exactly right. You put your helmet on, you strap yourself in and all of it, you are very much alone but without that team, you wouldn't have been able to get there and you wouldn't be able to get off of there when you then go to the next race and have help and all that. So it's this sort of hybrid. It's an individual sport, but it's also a team sport where most sports are one or the other. You always have to have a coach or trainer or friends and mentors, but they only kind of help you get there and then you're on your own. Racing, it's constant back and forth. You know, it's constant by yourself. And But when I'm in a race car, it's the most private, quiet, place in the you know you just close everything else out and and I've never had experienced anything that does that and um and it happens every time I get in a race car no matter how fast I'm going to go or or not you know I've talked to NHRA drivers and you figure 10,000 horsepower we as fans are are feeling the rumble hearing it but they do also go into that that zone even if it's just less than four seconds or so and that's pretty incredible uh Carter with all the activity going on uh, tell us about uh, some of these vehicles. Uh, were there particular challenges that you thought in the process of this collection that could have put the whole event at a standstill? Well, first of all, is getting the cars and convincing people to give up some of their favorite toys. Not for one day, like a Pebble Beach or something like that. So you'd come to people and they'd say, how long? You'd say, four and a half months. And they'd say, are you out of your mind? Uh, and, well, when you say toys, we're talking about Ferrari. Million dollar toys, exactly. Big time. I big mean, time. the greatest cars, uh, race cars. Yes. Uh, incredible. And I remind you, if you're just tuning in, Phoenix Art Museum, Legends of Speed. Of course, we've got uh, Carter Emerson in studio and uh, the wonderful Indy 500, Lynn St. James. And so did you, I mean, did you say, oh my goodness, I mean, you kept yep. you up and I kept selling and selling and selling, but with the help of friends like Lynn, high five Lynn, to twist, yeah. to, <laughs> hey five, to twist arms. I mean, that you, is, I love that. You could say, I know of this car. Then you have to say the detective work, who owns it? 
then you have to say, who knows that person? Well, let me it? ask you, yeah. is that the same for like a King Tut exhibit or Tutankhamen? Yes. You've got to have friends in each. I mean, does yeah. that all kind of... But, uh, but when you think about 22 cars, in a funny way, I don't know, maybe Gilbert could speak to it, trying to put together essentially 16 owners, I think this is as difficult as anything. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, do you have to take them out to dinner? You have to take them yeah, <laughs> or, or twist their arms or shame or, them or, or do more. something or other. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Yeah. Um, again, Phoenix Art Museum running through March uh, 2020. Like I told you, you guys know part of our platform is really uh, to sort of inspire these youngsters to spend a little time outside of the digital world. I guarantee you, if you get down to the Phoenix Art Museum, you will be a buzz and a wash of some great history. They will see analog at its best. I like for that. Six, yeah, really. We for, need to go for back. six decades. Starting with running across the desert until Mario Andretti, you know there might have been a few electronic cues then, but I don't think so in 1978. So this is when people wrenched uh, without having plugged things in. You didn't plug anything in. No, you were cranking things, mm-hmm. and if you weren't careful, you'd break an arm cranking one of these things. <laughs> <laughs> Lynn, I got to put you on the spot, Miss St. James. What is one of your favorites? Well, that's hard. I have a number of favorites. Um, obviously, uh, Dan Gurney's Eagle that he won the Formula One race at Spa, um, that car is, is just stunning. It takes my breath away every time I see it. That's the first one when you come in. Correct me yeah. if I'm wrong. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Gordon, then, I saw that on TV growing up as a kid. Yep. Yeah. Just I like mean, you, Miss Lindsay James. You know, it's made out of magnesium and titanium, and it's 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 just so sleek. and so It looks like a piece of art, truly does. And then right behind it, is Jimmy Clark's Indy 500 winner that was, um, you know, sort of changed the face of IndyCar racing and, and from front we, from front engine to, to rear engine, and that's a beautiful piece. So I my heart's... A.J. Foyt's first 500 winning Novi is over there, and that's really special. Um, and obviously the GT40 that, um, you know, with my Ford background and obviously now with the movie out with uh, Ferrari versus Ford, but to see that stunning car... But when it all boils down, back in the corner is the only drive, the only car that really has a strong um, connection with a, a woman, and that was the uh, the 1927 Bugatti that um, that Elie Nice, who was the Bugatti queen and who literally transformed, I think, racing for women uh, in the 20s and 30s and into the 40s, and has an incredible story, which ends pretty tragically, actually. But but her. During that uh, those couple of decades, um, that, she, that was the car that one of the cars that she raced for Bugatti. Actually, she owned that car. She had to buy that car from Bugatti, um, and it's owned by a, a, a United States person um, who who not only has the car but has all of her scrapbooks and all of the, you know. So I got to see all of that, and then to be able to see that car now beautifully displayed. Uh, And I actually got to race a 1929 Type 35C Bugatti a couple of years ago. So I got to feel a little bit what it was like for for her and the other females that raced. Because there were a lot of women that actually raced Bugattis back in the the 20s and 30s. So so that one really makes my heart sing. And I'm so proud that Carter and the museum were as excited about having that included as well as all of the other historically critically important cars. Oh, asking which car is the favorite one is sort of like, which is your favorite kid? (laughs) That's what I figured. I out of twenty-two kids, but there is one story you got a favorite that resonates with me that I think is the kind of oh my god moment when people hear the story when they're walking through the gallery. So it's the mid-thirties. Adolf Hitler decrees that one way they're going to demonstrate the superiority of the master race in their engineering is to win every race in sight. So it's an arms race. And they go ahead and they throw zillions of Deutschmarks into beating everyone else. In the early 20s, it was Alfa Romeo, and they were completely dominant. And so come along to 1934, 1935. All right, the Germans have a car with 200 horsepower more, maybe 20 miles an hour faster, or have a number of different cars. And Alfa has a car... Is there anything more obsolete than a one-year-old race car? They have a car that's a one-year-old race car. But what do they have? They have two things. If you look on the side of the car when you come into the museum and turn to the left, they have a team manager. Well, who's the team manager? Team manager is Enzo Ferrari before he sets his own company up. So you look on there, and there's the Cavallino on the side of the thing. What else did they have? 
They had a five foot five, chain smoking, crazy Italian driver who had been a motorcycle race by the name of Tazio Nuvolari. So the first race of this this group of the Silvereros, the dominant Silvereros, the Germans think is in front of a crowd of 300,000 Germans with all the Nazi brass up there. Wow. And they start racing. And, of course, the Germans are going to win. Well, no. Tazio pushes and pushes and pushes these big, more powerful cars until they start shredding their tires. So this car's down on power. It's slower. It's obsolete. Long story short, David versus Goliath. Beating the Nazis, they win. Must have been panic up in the stands. How did this happen? But the funniest thing or the best thing out of that story is it was like the Olympics back then. The winner gets to have their national anthem played. Well, the Germans didn't think they were going to lose. All they had was the German national anthem. And Tazio said, play the Italian national anthem. They said, we don't have it. You know what he did? He went to his car in the parking lot, and he came back with the record and said, play this, and they had to play the Italian National Anthem. And that's one, when people hear that, it just grabs them when they look at, not a car like that, that's the car. Wow, that's some history right there. We're going to continue on. Uh, Phoenix Art Museum, Legends of Speed. We're diving into over 20 legendary cars from Maseratis, Mercedes, Alfa Romeo, Ford, and more with Miss Lynn St. James, the 500 uh, legend, as well as Mr. Carter Emerson of Phoenix Art Museum. Stay tuned, Ranch Nation, next. Parts Authority Auto Parts Superstores, nationwide locations. You know, one of the problems that I can have working in my garage is parts aren't delivered on time, the quality isn't there. Well, guess what? Who's yelling at me, my clients, and they're likely not to come back? Well, the Parts Authority Auto Parts Superstores, amazing service, knowledgeable counter folks, a complete line of original equipment, parts that our customers deserve. If you are an installer, get on to partsauthority.com. Check locations nationally near you, partsauthority.com. Welcome back, Wrench Nation. Uh, Frank and Susie hanging out with you in studio. Always, always honored uh, that you guys could spend some time. Big shout out to our KFNX Saturday listeners. I know you stopped cutting the grass or you're cleaning up after the rain at this point. Uh, We are so honored to have you guys hang with us every week. Remember to get on WrenchNation.tv, catch your favorite shows. Honored to have uh, Andy 500 legend, Miss Lynn St. James. Welcome back. Thank you. And, of course, uh, Mr. Carter Emerson, representing the Phoenix Art Museum. Uh, gosh, historic race exhibit in Phoenix. Headlines, people. If you don't know, uh, we are talking about uh, some of the most uh, uh, spectacular race vehicles, and we touched upon some of the wonderful stories. Everyone knows there's a story behind every car. In fact, you listening, that little Kia, there's a story behind your Kia. We know that. <laughs> we know that. It doesn't have to be a highfalutin uh, race vehicle, but of course, as fans, as car enthusiasts, well, as motorsports race talent, there's nothing like a good car exhibit or car show. Carter, this has got to be one of your highlights at Phoenix Art Museum. One of the highlights of the museum, I think, when other museums, and I won't name them, but major automotive museums see the list of the cars or come out and see the list and are blown away and say, I've never seen anything like that before, that tells you that Phoenix has got something. It's never going to be repeated because you couldn't get them all together. Phoenix has got something really to be proud of, and the art museum does. Yeah, no doubt. And, and I think in general, most of you agree, uh, even out here in the East Valley or if you're on the west side, north side, or my Payson family, or some of our visitors uh, from, hey, North Dakota that come in. Uh, you you kind of leisurely hanging out with our wonderful weather, except today and yesterday, although Not we today. like the rain. <laughs> um, it, it's just a wonderful experience to, to sort of enjoy the culture uh, that we have. And absolutely, we touched upon it, Lynn. I want to say that we do have a car vibe cooking oh, we do. almost year-round. I no, mean, we do. we do. We have the wonderful Scuderia Southwest and... Uh, Scottsdale Cars and Coffees and Chandler Cars and Coffee, just about every community. And all you California peeps, you can't be the only ones to have your wheels and waves. We got our cactus and cars up in here. <laughs> so um, let's get back to that GT40. <laughs> so the GT40, you know, Ford versus Ferrari. 
But by 1968, it's not Ford versus Ferrari. It's Ford versus Porsche because Ferrari had bailed out because the GT4. Well, let's talk about that. Didn't yeah. uh, Ford was banned for a period of time. Is that correct? It was well, really banned after the, uh, the after rules the wins. changed. After, know, after, after the, the last year. But it was year. also Ford versus Ford, by the way, because yeah. there were the Holman Moody's and there was the yep. Shelby's. And so yep. there was as much inner competition as there was, you know, they got so dominant and they had so many cars there that they, they were really racing against each against other. Against each other. Yeah. But you get down to 68, 69, which is when this win took place. And now it's Ford versus Porsche. And Porsche can taste it. They've never won before. And they come up with the 917. We have a variety of the 917. The Uber Porsche, okay? So they're supposed to win. They know they're going to win in 1968. They get out there. They put a bunch of 917s out there. And you've got, once again, the story of David and Goliath. You've got the GT40, which is really getting long in the tooth now since 1965, 1966. It is now being run with a five-liter engine, which was permitted instead of the big 427. So what happens? So they think they're going to win. Well, there is a story about endurance racing or any racing. To win, you don't have to just be the fastest. You have to be there at the end. And the Porsches start breaking and breaking and breaking and breaking and breaking to the end where Pedro Rodriguez, Mexican-American, Mexican, I'm sorry, not American, Mexican winner of Le Mans that year, wins. Okay, by the next year, the car's really, really obsolete. And Porsche says, this is the time, damn it, we're going to go ahead and do this. So if we field an even stronger group, they get a chance to correct the mistakes, and they get out there, and guess what starts happening? Things start breaking. So it's the tortoise and the hare, and the GT40 is still going around and around. And in the end, it's a game back and forth between one Porsche and that GT40 and we know what the end of the story is. They win by basically less than a football field at those kind of speeds. Thinking about that. That's anyway, incredible. It's an exciting story. Those are the uh, wars on the track. Those that are still the stories? exist today. Yeah. yeah, those are the stories that you want to get down to that Phoenix Museum. I believe right? so. I mean, it's. I think some of you may, I don't know, maybe, maybe some of you are just not, like you may be on the edge of, I don't really do museums because of this, that, and the other thing. But why don't you... Do a story. We all like stories. Mm -hmm. Because what stories do, whether they're through cars or great art, it invigorates. We find things about ourselves that we didn't know before, Susie. Right. Can I say that? Of course. And I think as, a, as a human beings, the humility side of us, we allow ourselves to explore. And I think that's, uh, and obviously in this car platform, Wrench Nation, we explore that because there's a lot that we don't know. And I use my 10-year-old. It could be a 50-year-old. I give an example. Our pinstriper out of California. Oh, yeah. <laughs> talented guy. He started pinstriping. Von Dutch bike and a few other great. Wow. He was 60 years old. And he started. He said, I want to do this. And we have some Von Dutch pinstriping on one of the cars, as you know. Yeah. Terrible. I mean, so. That's who did this pinstriping. Uh, again, I highlight the Phoenix Art Museum, uh, honored to have uh, uh, Indy 500 uh, fame, uh, Lynn St. James, and many, the 24-hour Daytona. I have to ask you, Lynn, what is the difference between that race and maybe an Indy? I know, I know it's an endurance thing, but how do you prepare differently for Well, it is completely different. Um, I mean, the 500, you know, you are on it. You, you know, you have to pace yourself. You have to really feel the car, but it's 500 miles goes by really quick. I mean, you have maybe seven pit stops, um, so you got to get those right. And 33 cars starting on that two and a half mile track that feels really, really narrow. It's like thread and needles. Um, so it's it's intense all the time, but it's over. I mean, it, it it's over fairly quickly. When you run an endurance race, whether it's a 12-hour or 24-hour, um, you really have to pace yourself in a completely different way. And you have, first of all, you're also having a team of drivers. So now you're, you know, you're having to learn to do driver changes and adapt to um, the other drivers so that everybody hopefully takes care of the car. You've got to communicate really well to the other drivers and to the crew chief and to the mechanics and you still are flat out, but it's it's a really, I mean, it's a very um, intense pace, but spread over a 24-hour period. And I say that you 
you learn everything you'll ever want to know about yourself. You'll feel like you've lived a lifetime in a 24-hour period, and you learn everything about everybody else on your team. And, you know, you know where all their hot buttons are, and you know where all their weak links are, and you you really have to gel and, and stay in the game um, over that period of time. And you have to hydrate, and you have to... It's a complete... Your body is physically, I mean, mentally, yeah, you're too. You're beating yourself up, yeah. you know. And so it's a completely different um, experience. It really is. Um, yeah. So I love them both. I, I love endurance racing. I think that my dream was to, to, to be able to race at Daytona, which then I did, and then I finally got to win there. Um, and then I had to do Le Mans because that is the ultimate endurance race. And I was lucky to do that twice, uh, 1989 and 1991. And, um, and then I thought, God, maybe I could still do the Indy 500. I don't know. And I worked really hard to, to, to put all that together. And then that happened in 92. So you know, 87, I won my first Daytona 24-hour, and then 88 or 89, I got to go to, to Le Mans, and, and then 91 to Le Mans again, and then 92, it was, um, it was the Indy 500, and then I kept going. So, um, so it's, it's wonderful to be able to condition your body and your brain um, and your whole system to a completely different preparation and experience and to understand what that is and then to be able to actually do it. Um, it's, uh, it's the best. So, you know, I just had a thought. So I'm thinking autonomous racing would not be as exciting as that then, huh? <laughs> well, electric, electric. We're starting it's to see. It's a good thing there's a panel between us right now because I'm about to be jumping over this thing. Yeah. No, Stay we, down, we, 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 we are not. We are not seeing autonomous. That, what were we it's seeing? Coming. Electric. No, it's coming, though. Oh, I mean, there, autonomous. It is? I yeah, was just there, kidding. There is actually, I know. There's actually going to be an autonomous IndyCar race next year. No. Or 20 or 21. Maybe it's 21. Not a 500, and it's going to be it's a demonstration thing it's going to be like in october oh my and they're gosh. going to do it in indy lights cars and i got to learn a lot about this even though i hate the idea but well um, now with uh, penske well I, think, I mean penske has everything to do with it but oh well but but yeah. he will be, i mean Eventually. in other words yeah, it yeah. wasn't his project or his baby sure, but sure, he will because so now he owns the track but yeah. um but it, but the, it is coming i mean i i hate like, it <laughs> like, you know, electric, e, you know, there's a whole Formula E, which is electric cars. Um, I, I mean, w racing is always about technology. It's always about testing technology and then demonstrating technology. And one of the reasons why the, these cars that are on display at the Phoenix Art Museum is that they really also are showing some of the, of the technology that existed over these six decades. And whether it's open wheel cars or whether it's production based cars. Um, it, it really shows some of that diverse technology in tires because you can see the tires in most cases on these cars. And some of them have, you know, grooves and slicks and some, you know, don't. Um, uh, di disc brakes. I mean, well, uh, disc brakes. There's the a Jaguar. Moss Jaguar that we've got. Yeah. Uh, first use of disc brakes at Le Mans, I believe. So what, that's what that's, year? 62? Uh, 52. Oh, racing oh. improves the breed. Yeah. I mean, yes, really. it does. Yeah. Absolutely. We see that in the bay. I mean, it yeah. does come from mm -hmm. how can we push this? So let's not sort of practice, but let's put it into well, use. Well, it's a test bit. It's Absolutely. Weird con I mean, yeah. it drove me crazy in the 80s when I was racing for Ford. We were always testing something. And it was the turbocharger in mm -hmm. most cases. And, and it was the black box, you know, all the electronics that we now have even, I mean, back then they were big black boxes, you know, yeah. and, and, yeah. and it would break and, and, you know, it wouldn't work. We didn't even know it broke. And I said, well, what can you do to fix it? They said, nothing. We just replaced the box. I mean, it's like, how, what are we learning? You know, but that's always a test bed. So that'll be what'll happen, you know, today. But, um, fascinating. Yeah. Uh, we did, uh, we had Will Buxton, who's a Formula One, uh, broadcaster, mm -hmm. uh, come on the show and he really put it well. And as fans, we do put our racers on a pedestal because they are special. They do things that no one else is really doing. No one else is really doing. How do you convey that message? I ask Lynn. When you meet a youngster, we talk about it all the time, that may be interested and feels like they have to give up. And they see their favorite race car driver. How do you really convey down to their level that you can't give up and you can? Well, first of all, um, everybody, whether it's race car drivers or whether it's other athletes. I mean, I've watched other athletes perform like tennis, for example, and I play tennis and then I think, 
I go out to hit a tennis ball and I'm like, I think I could hit it just like I watched them do it. And why it doesn't happen that way. But we are all nothing more than human beings. So we have frailties, we have our flaws, we, you know, but we have found a space in, in life that we found our niche. We found the thing that a, we had a feel or a, a sense of, and then we worked really hard. I don't, I mean, I think there are maybe are some exceptions, but I don't know of any, even Eric and Senna worked really hard. So, I mean, I think it's, it's, that blending of talent and ability and passion and hard work. And so um, you can't get it out of, we're, not, we're really no different. We just worked harder and we found the thing that we were really blessed in, and I think we had the ability to do. Every day, a new day, never give up. Yeah. yeah. And so, I mean, we, we have our frailties. We have, you know, things, bad things happen. Um, but I think that for a young person, it's a matter of really getting inside themselves and trying to really, what are they passionate about? What are they really, what hits their hot buttons? And then give it a try. And if it doesn't work, either try harder and work harder because you might have a breakthrough or look for something else that you mm-hmm. may have that ability to have. Breakthrough. How many of us <laughs> yeah. are saying breakthrough these days? I yeah. mean, just the word. I mean, I suggest if you're listening to the show, write the word breakthrough down. Thank you, Lynn. Breakthrough is something that we need to write down because time makes us give up. And I don't want to get on this whole rant. Well, but, but we lured more from failure. I mean, you remember my very first race after going to driver's school, I put a car in a lake. You know, I lost control of the car and it went into a lake. It would have probably been the best time to say, I don't think I can do this. I must, maybe I have to relook at something else. But I said, no, no, I really want this that bad. Keep working at it. That's right. You keep grinding. Don't and the word up. of the day is breakthrough. Breakthrough. People... That's your word of the day. That's I don't, right. I don't know if we're giving you anything for it, but give yourself <laughs> something. Write the word down. Put it on your vision board. Look at that sucker. If you got a phone, not while you're driving, you should be making notes about some goals. Write Breakthrough down. That's so powerful, Lynn. Thank you so much for that. Uh, stay tuned because we do have Mr. Carter Emerson of the Phoenix Art Museum Legends of Speed exhibit. We're going to talk more about that wonderful exhibit. Stay tuned. Ranch Nation next. Parts Authority Auto Parts Superstores. Nationwide locations. You know, one of the problems that I can have working in my garage is parts aren't delivered on time. The quality isn't there. Well, guess what? Who's yelling at me? My clients. And they're likely not to come back. Well, the Parts Authority Auto Parts Superstores. Amazing service knowledgeable counter folks a complete line of original equipment parts that our customers deserve if you're an installer get on to partsauthority.com check locations nationally near you partsauthority.com welcome back wrench nation always a pleasure to hang out with you guys we are talking about the uh Legends of Speed, wonderful race car exhibit. That engagement exhibit runs from November 3rd, which has been running for a few weeks now, to March 15th. You have some time. I know the holidays are coming. Some of you are stressed out. Hey, listen, you got family coming in, and they're probably saying, well, Phoenix, we're going to go up to Scottsdale and do some shopping. (laughs) Well, you need to tell them, no, we'll do that, however... We're going over to the Phoenix Art Museum where you will see some of the most, uh, this is a world-renowned collection, Carter. We got Bugattis, we got Maseratis, we got Ferraris, we got the race wars, the history. Mm -hmm. Carter, you've told us some stories. There are a ton more. I'll tell you another favorite story of mine. You want to hear it? And it relates to Ford versus Ferrari. So Ford is trying to get the GT40 together, but at the same time, Lynn talked about the competition within Ford, people running for it. So you got the Shelby Cobra, famous Shelby Cobra, but the Ferrari GTO, most beautiful car of all time, I think, was just cleaning up in the in the uh, uh, racing car, sports car category. They were winning everything in sight for two years. And we have one in the show, by the way, so you can look at that. So how is how are we going to beat Ferrari on those grounds? And along comes old Shell, Okay. So Shelby goes off with his Shelby Cobra, and there's a problem on the long straightaways. The Cobra at the time had the aerodynamics of the side of a barn. Big windshield and so forth. It doesn't have the aerodynamics of the Ferrari. So who's going to fix that? Is that fixable to make the car faster? 
And the answer is, there is a guy who Lynn knows very well and who she's introduced me to. Lynn? Peter Brock. Peter Brock. (laughs) Peter Brock, who at the age of 19 designs the Stingray. Goes off in the skunk works and Bill Mitchell says, design me a sport, new a new Corvette. So Peter Brock's on the team and says, I've got an idea, a very unconventional idea. When you look at this car compared to the others, cam back, short, much shortened tail, flat roof and so forth, and tries to see whether they can get more speed out of it. And indeed, they do get more speed down the straights and they beat the Ferraris. This is a big wow. win because it's Ford versus Ferrari. And I think Ford went ahead and said... Well, it led to uh, Ford saying, okay, Shelby, since you just did this, you are now going to have charge of the GT40 program. And so go fix, you, the, fix the problems we're having. Which led to the whole movie but, about the Ford versus Ferrari. But there's a connection here locally. Oh. Okay. Because we are. Oh, so, so, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Bondurant. So, the, who, who are wow. the winners? You've got Bob Bondurant and... America's favorite, Dan, Dan Gurney. Gurney. And we have some other Gurney cars. So those two guys beat the Ferrari in the Shelby Cobra that Peter Brock designed. Oh, That's so incredible. cool. Yeah. That's incredible. Um, tell us about some of the, I, I know that uh, you have the exhibit running through March. Do you have events within the events? Do you have uh, uh, any any particular parties or anything that, uh, well, or celebrity speak- guests? Actually, I'm speaking on February 1st. Thank you for Very asking. good. Yeah, yeah, no. So catch Lynn St. James. Uh, Lynn, we can't let you go, by the way, without talking about something very special. Oh, well. You were I- on the track. You were disciplined. You were killing it. Rookie of the year, Indy 500. How'd you feel? Well, I didn't know I was going to get rookie of the year. So, I mean, I I took the checkered flag. That felt really good. And I finished 11th, and that felt really good. Um, A.J. Foyt got by me uh, just before the end. That didn't feel so good. But um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, I mean, I was just over the moon, actually. And then when they had the banquet and they announced the rookie of the year, I mean, there was no way. They had nine rookies that year. There was just no way I was going to get that in my mind. And so I was shocked, totally shocked. Um and then I was even more shocked because during the victory banquet, when I was announced that and I had to get up and speak, Johnny Rutherford and, um, was one of the MCs, and I put out there that I was going to come back. And I had a one-race deal, and I remember seeing Dick Simon's face, who was my team owner, in the audience going, what are you talking about? We, we're done, you know. And I'm, I said, I'm not done yet, and we'll be back. So I went back, obviously, to run for another seven races, uh, Indy 500s and 15 Indy car races over nine years. So I was just kind of getting into my, you know, next phase of my career and getting my legs going. And I was pretty happy camper. Unbelievable. 2010 automotive news. One of the top 100 women in the automotive industry, sports illustrated for women, top 100 women athletes of this century. Uh, many of you listening, uh, may watch boxing, UFC, uh, basketball, football, and say, well, those drivers, I know they have to endurance, but, they're not the same type of athlete. I would argue that. And certainly you, Miss Lynn St. James, especially our uh, out of a 24-hour Le Mans situation, oh, yeah, you better have your athlete on. <laughs> but, you know, I'm going to mention that all those wonderful things that have been in my career, and I am very proud and honored, but working on this project at the Phoenix Art Museum has been a really highlight this year. Um, to be able to to work with Carter um, and help him call down because he start, he gave me a list of about forty cars we started with you know oh, and I'm goodness. like oh ho ho so to be able to help um, sort of call that down and and merge the cars along with the owners along with the drivers to kind of make sure these stories were really rich um, and then to be able to do the writing there's actually a fabulous catalog that you can buy in the gift shop that is um, that chronicles f- photographically and also in in written copy the stories of each of these 22 cars and I got to write the introduction to that which I've gotten a lot of good compliments about and and I got to write about some of my favorite cars as well so um, my involvement in this besides the fact that it's in my hometown or where I live you know um, it's it's really a, a, given me a really sense of pride of having another sort of relevant extension of my life as a race car driver um into a a whole other area you know besides i love obviously the work i do for rpm foundation as well but this has been a real highlight and i'm I'm anxious to share this with as many people in the community as i can and i've said if i'm in town um and you guys are going to go out there you know let me know i mean i'd be glad to spend you know a little bit of time if that works out so i'm just that is wonderful i had a question regarding uh 
sort of writing the introduction, were memories triggered as you sort of put pen to paper with this introduction? And did you kind of excite the memory of, of maybe some things that were forgotten? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. particularly the Lamont story. I mean, you know, that that's because it's all about speed and it's about and of course, these were a lot about my heroes. I mean, Sterling Moss, um, Dan Gurney, um, Jimmy Clark, A.J. Foyt. I mean, these were people that I had just awe and awe of. And now I'm getting to to write about them and, you know, and to be able to contact Justin Gurney and to clarify, making sure I, you know, so I was able to just bring in full circle um, my knowledge, my admiration and then my, in a challenge of being able to write, um, which I've done, but you know, this, when you write about yourself, you know, that's one thing, but when you're writing about other people and other things, you got to make sure you got your right for one thing. And that's hard sometimes because your resources are not always, you know, really spot on. You don't know what you're, you've got to compare, but, um, yeah, it was, it was, but it was, I wanted to do it in such a way that I, and I was pleased because actually the gals at the museum and the people at the museum said they really liked it because I wanted it to not just be all racers talk, you know, because I knew the audience was going to be much broader than just about the, the gearheads that, you know. Sure. So it was, um, it was, but at the same time, I wasn't trying to ignore anybody. So it was cool. We have a really cool thing that's going to be added to the, to, unexpected thing, that's going to be added to the exhibit coming soon, uh, very soon. I'll find out when. So out of the blue, the museum gets a call, sort of a cold call from a lady who says, my husband was chief mechanic for Ferrari in the golden days, and we live here in Scottsdale. Come on over and look at his papers and photographs. His name is Alberto Pedretti, and we're going to show his stuff, and he's going to be over the moon. That's going to be in the gallery. That, that's wonderful. Fabulous, yeah. Lynn, that's a new, and this is evolving. That's really cool. Sure, it's, there like long, that. it's there long so enough that new, you know, yeah, through March. March. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, Lynn St. James, thank you so much for joining Wrench Nation, sharing your wonderful story. And I do want to thank you for all of your inspirational work that you continue to do today. Uh, you do a lot of speaking across the country, of course, with the RPM Foundation. And we do thank you for joining Wrench thank Nation. Thank you for having me. Always love it. And Carter, you're living in, I want to live in your land, man. <laughs> Thank, thanks, Frank. You thanks for the opportunity. Phoenix Art Museum. I invite you guys, get on over. Uh, you got plenty of time running through March, and they may have some surprises. You got some of the ra- uh, greatest race cars of history, Susie. What a treat for everyone in the family. I'm going to go. Yes. I say you we better. bring our crew. Yeah, let's do it. Yes. Bring and your friends. Buy the book. That's it. So I want to thank you guys. If you, again, missed a couple of bits and pieces, uh, get onto our podcast, man. We are uh, playing at just about every podcast player. And thank you so much, KFNX 90.7 and 88.7 The Pulse. As I tell you every week, be safe, hug each other, and never forget to hug them again.